0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Legends of Surgery. I'm your host, Tyler Rouse. Today, we're going to focus not on one particular surgeon or procedure, but rather a disease called transposition of the great arteries or vessels. I'll be using them interchangeably, so don't get confused there. This is one of the most common cyanotic congenital heart lesions in babies. In other words, blue babies, which ties us in to our last episode on Blaylock and Tetralogy of Fallot. Our journey will cover a number of procedures and starts where we left off last time, and continues to the modern treatment of this disease, and along the way we'll meet a few more famous surgeons that have impacted cardiovascular surgery from around the world in this episode of Legends of Surgery. Since we're taking an approach of a journey, let's start with a journey through the heart to help understand this defect. Imagine you're a red blood cell, returning from a long trip through the body, delivering your critical payload of oxygen to the tissues and organs, and are on your way back home to replenish your stores you'll come back through the vena cava, the biggest vein in the body, to enter the right side of the heart, first the right atrium, then the right ventricle, to get sent to the lungs via the pulmonary artery, And remember that name. There you stock up on oxygen and return to the heart, this time to the left side, first the left atrium, and then the left ventricle, to finally return to the body via the aorta, again, remember that name. But a few of you don't get very far, because the heart muscle itself needs oxygen, some of you will leave the aorta almost right away to go through the coronary arteries, which branch off the aorta only a few millimeters from the beginning of the aorta. Quick side note, the reason they're called coronary arteries is because it comes from the Latin corona, meaning crown, and these vessels sort of encircle the heart in the manner of a crown. I thought that was kind of interesting. But this branching off of the coronary arteries will become important later. Now side note, when these get blocked and you can't get oxygen to the heart, this leads to angina. And if the heart muscle dies, this becomes a myocardial infarction, or heart attack. So what is transposition of the great vessels? In medical terms, this is ventriculo discordance, or more simply, a mismatch between the vessels and the two ventricles of the heart. The aorta comes off the right ventricle, and the pulmonary artery comes off the left ventricle. This essentially creates two separate circuits, The oxygenated blood returning from the lungs to the left side of the heart simply gets pumped back to the lungs, and the deoxygenated blood returning from the body to the right side of the heart just gets pumped back to the body without getting refueled with oxygen. This transposition of the great arteries was first described by Matthew Bailey in 1797. Bailey was a Scottish pathologist and nephew of the Hunter brothers, and we'll get to them in another podcast. The first use of the term transposition of the great arteries was used by John Richard Farr in 1814, a British ophthalmologist born in Barbados and one of the founders of the Royal London Ophthalmic Hospital. Sounds like an interesting guy. Anyways, as you might have guessed, having the pulmonary, meaning lungs, and systemic circulations function in parallel is not compatible with life. Therefore, babies that are born with this must have some mixing of the blood somewhere to get oxygen to the body. Now, there are three possibilities. One, atrial septal defect, which is a hole between the left and right atrium. Two, ventricular septal defect, a hole between the left and right ventricles. Or three, a patent ductus arteriosus. Now that is a blood vessel that connects the pulmonary artery to the aorta. Now this normally acts to bypass the lungs in a fetus. Since they're not breathing air yet, they don't need blood going to the lungs. And it closes at birth. But in transposition of the great vessels, the blood in the pulmonary artery has oxygen, and can then get to the body through this patent, or open, ductus arteriosus. Now, the mortality of an unrepaired transposition of the great vessels has been quoted at 55% at one month, 85% at six months, and 90% at a year. Clearly, this is an issue worth tackling. Okay, so we've defined the problem, and as you might imagine, there wasn't much doctors could do for these babies for a long time. In fact, our journey starts with Blaylock, the subject of the last podcast, number 32. If you remember the famous quote he said to his lab assistant, Vivian Thomas, quote, This looks like something the Lord made, end quote, was said when inspecting a heart that Vivian had operated on. The operation was to create an atrial septal defect, or hole between the left and right atria, surgically. This was first done on a human in 1948, and described by Blaylock and his resident Rollins Hanlon in 1950, and this became known as the Blaylock Hanlon septectomy, Or procedure. Now this came about after the team analyzed 123 cases of transposition of the great vessels from different sources and concluded that the presence of a ventricular septal defect was favorable for survival, followed by an atrial septal defect, but a combination of the two was best for survival. In the era before the heart-lung machine, which allows for the blood to bypass or skip the heart, the operation had to be done closed, meaning the heart could not be stopped or opened up. This procedure was considered palliative, meaning a temporary fix, not a corrective one, as the problem is still present. However, it did allow for significant improvement in these children. So the next step was to attempt an anatomical correction of the abnormal blood flow. This was most famously done by two surgeons, Aki Senning from Sweden and William Mustard from Canada. We'll get back to both of them, but first let's talk about the operation in general. So The basic idea is to open the atria, which remember the upper chambers of the heart, and create specialized channels called baffles to redirect the blood returning to the heart. So instead of the deoxygenated blood coming back to the right side of the heart and then going right back to the body through the aorta, it's diverted over to the left ventricle to get pumped to the lungs and get oxygenated. Then when it returns to the heart, it is again diverted from the left atrium by these baffles to go to the right ventricle and then out to the body carrying oxygen. I'll post some pictures because for this podcast, a picture truly is worth a thousand words. But just remember, the flow of blood is flipped around in the atria by baffles to try to get oxygen into the blood going out to the body. This worked better than the Blalock-Hanlon procedure, which just counted on mixing the blood through a hole between the chambers, but it still had one significant flaw. It counted on the right ventricle to pump blood through the aorta. The right ventricle is not as strong as the left, and usually can't sustain the pressure, pun intended, Of being the pumping chamber for the body. So what was the difference between the Senning and Mustard procedures? Let's meet the surgeons and take a closer look. Aki Senning, born in 1915 in Sweden, was a cardiovascular surgeon that worked at the Karolinska Hospital in Stockholm. If that name rings any bells for my listeners, it might be because it's home to the Nobel Assembly at the Karolinska Institute that determines the winners of the Nobel Prize in Physiology or Medicine see Podcast 28 on Nobel Prize-winning surgeons. Anyways, Dr. Senning performed the first atrial switch procedure in 1957. This involved using tissue from the atrium to create the baffle. No artificial or prosthetic material was used, but rather it involved a complex work of incising and folding the tissue, which was so technically complex that it's been referred to as origami. It should be noted that the procedure was unsuccessful in the first two patients, But the third patient was an 8-year-old Polish boy who survived for 20 years. The Senning repair would go on to dramatically improve the prognosis of children with transposition of the great vessels. Now, before we leave Dr. Senning, a bit more biographical information. He made a number of pioneering contributions to cardiovascular surgery, including implanting the first totally implantable cardiac pacemaker on October 8, 1958. The patient died in 2001 at the age of 86. He also performed the first heart transplant in Switzerland in 1969. And as noted in a tribute article written by Dr. Denton Cooley, the famous American cardiovascular surgeon, Setting had a great quote when explaining that the operation itself was fairly simple quote, One must merely sew, and when one knows where to sew, there's no problem. End quote. The Setting procedure was a major advance in the treatment of transposition of the great vessels. But due to its technical complexity, it was not widely adopted. Now, this left an opportunity for an improvement on the procedure, and so enters Dr. William Mustard. So, before we get into his procedure, let's learn more about the man. He was born in 1914 in a little town called Clinton, Ontario, Canada, a couple hours drive west of Toronto, which is where he went to medical school. Like so many surgeons of his generation, he went overseas to Europe during World War II. And there's a story that in 1944, at a casualty-clearing station, he bridged a lacerated artery in a soldier's leg with a glass tube, used heparin to avoid clotting it, later replacing the glass tube with a vein graft, for which he was elected to be a member of the Order of the British Empire. And to show what a small-world surgery can be, he spent a month with Blaylock in 1947 at Johns Hopkins, spurring his interest in cardiac surgery. And in another interesting twist, and this would never happen today, He actually practiced first as an orthopedic surgeon and then later as a cardiac surgeon at the Hospital for Sick Children, aka Sick Kids, in Toronto, eventually focusing solely on cardiac surgery from 1957 on. He actually has another operation named after him, which is an orthopedic one called an iliopsoas tendon transfer, which allows children paralyzed by polio to be able to sit up. So let's talk about Mussard's version of the atrial switch. Now instead of using the atrial tissue to make the baffle, he used a piece of pericardium which is the sac that the heart sits in. He got the idea from a paper written in 1954 by Dr. Harold Albert, the first envisioned in intraatrial baffle, but which suggested using artificial material. When asked about this, Mustard replied jokingly, quote, use pericardium. The only excuse for using Dacron, an artificial material, is if you drop the pericardium on the floor, end quote. So on May 16, 1963, at SickKids in Toronto, he operated on an 18-month-old girl named Maria, who had previously undergone the Blaylock-Hanlon procedure. He repaired her ventricular septal defect and then performed the atrial switch using the autologous, meaning from her own body, pericardial baffle. Amazingly, she is still alive, or at least as of the article I found from 2015, and has three kids. The survival of the first 547 patients after the mustard operation at SickKids is 64% at 25 years. That's pretty amazing. But as good as these results were, the ideal to strive towards a true anatomical correction would be to return the aorta and pulmonary arteries to their natural positions. This is called the arterial switch. So this involves not only cutting the arteries, but moving the coronary arteries, each along with a button of tissue from the aortic wall. The arteries are then switched to their new positions, and the coronary buttons are sutured into the new, or neo, aorta. It was this step of moving the coronary arteries that had stymied surgeons, that is, until a Brazilian surgeon named Adib Dominos Jateni. Born in a village called Zapuri in the Brazilian state of Acre, within the Amazon jungle, in 1929, he was the son of Lebanese rubber merchants, and went to medical school in 1948 at the University of Sao Paulo. Jatini was inspired to go into public health and return to his birthplace where his father had died of a preventable disease yellow fever but as the story often goes he worked with a cardiac surgeon that inspired him to go into surgery his early research work was in developing components of the heart-lung bypass machine and later developed a company to manufacture artificial heart valves and other cardiac equipment he also performed over 2000 cases of coronary artery bypass or cabbage procedures when he turned his attention to the transposition of the great vessels. He began by studying pathological specimens and became convinced that the arterial switch procedure would be possible. In 1975, at the University of Sao Paulo Heart Institute in Sao Paulo, Brazil, Jateni performed the first arterial switch in the world. This came as a shock to the surgical community as no one knew he was working on this. In his own words, quote, to divide, contrapose, and then reanastomose the great arteries, is not a surgical problem. The major technical difficulty in this approach has been the transfer of coronary arteries, end quote. This was a major breakthrough. Although the first few patients did not survive, eventually found success, and this has become the gold standard of treating transposition of the great vessels. And as an aside, this topic, or more specifically, Dr. Jateni, was suggested to me on Twitter, so thank you for that, and I'll admit to not knowing the story until researching it. And most of the articles I found on Dr. Jateni not only covered his professional successes, but focused on the person with an outpouring of respect and affection. Now, he passed away in 2014, and here's just a taste of one take on this beloved surgeon. He exemplified the very best qualities of a physician, a passion to improve the lives of patients, a scholarly approach to challenging problems, a bottomless well of personal energy, and the courage and optimism and vision of a great innovator, end quote. High praise indeed. So further refinements have come along, such as the LeCompte Maneuver, named after the French surgeon that devised it, and other modifications continue to evolve and improve the procedure. But the gold standard of an anatomically correct repair has now been achieved, known as the Jeteny procedure. And patients that once had almost no chance of surviving the first year of life now are able to live normal, full lives. So ends our journey of the story of the treatment of transposition of the Great Vessels, which has given us the chance to meet some of the giants of cardiac surgery and hear their innovations. Now, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I'm going to take a brief winter holiday, but I'll be back with a brand new episode on January 13th. It's a bit of a flight of fancy, pun intended, and I'm pretty excited about this one. I think you'll find it very entertaining. So don't forget to download it once available. In the meantime, Please rate the podcast on iTunes and leave a comment there, or follow me on Twitter at Surgery Legends, like us on Facebook at Legends of Surgery, or send an email to legendsofsurgery at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you, about your thoughts on the podcast or ideas for future episodes, and as always, thanks for listening.